Hi, I'm Kirsten McGregor, and you're listening to A Grey Matter, the neuroscience podcast from the Queensland Brain Institute. In a calendar full of awareness weeks and days, the need for a schizophrenia awareness week remains paramount. Despite affecting more than 21 million people worldwide, schizophrenia is one of the most misunderstood disorders in the broader community and one of the most puzzling for neuroscientists. QBI's Dr James Kesby recently received a $300,000 Advanced Queensland Research Fellowship to advance his own research into the development of the disorder and also to bridge the divide between the lab and the clinic. So schizophrenia is it's a complex neuropsychiatric disorder, obviously. Uh, it, the ramifications of the disorder are manifold, diverse symptoms. Uh, the one that most people uh, recognise are the psychotic symptoms, which we classify as positive symptoms. And that's the thought, delusions, and the, uh, the sort of detachment from reality, uh, paranoia, that type of effect, which is obviously a, a key part of the disease and is one of the major points that uh, result in the diagnosis. And for the most part, we can treat psychotic symptoms. But there are uh, two other groups of symptoms. The cognitive symptoms, which are obviously your ability, uh, memory, learning, ability to uh, take in complex patterns and come out with outcomes that uh, work to your advantage. And also the negative symptoms, which are, I suppose, a blunted emotional effect, uh, reward alterations, so your ability to look back on previously positive events and reflect on them the same way that a normal person would. And these uh, two symptom groups we can't treat currently with the current medications, and they tend to be some of the more debilitating aspects of the disease. There seems to be this persistent notion in the broader community of a split personality, and in fact it's a pretty lazy insult in that context. That's completely wrong? So the the split personality comes from a very, very, very early diagnosis of schizophrenia, way back um, where it was a fractured mind. And I suppose that is all related to the psychotic type events, where in a psychotic state... Obviously, these thoughts and delusions are, um, are more prevalent. Um, but in terms of schizophrenia as a disorder, the psychosis is, is only one part of the, of the package. And as, as I said, we can treat in most individuals that can be treated to some extent. Um, but there's a lot, of, a lot of other things going on that affect daily functioning. And a lot of that comes down to the cognitive and the negative things, which you may not be able to tell uh, from one person to the next in, in the general public. But you'll see in, in the population level that they're less successful, having more trouble doing the things that most people do and take for granted. So how common is it? The general statistic that's thrown out is about one in a hundred, um, but that's not equal amongst everybody. So there's genetic risk, which is probably the strongest risk you can have. If you have someone very close in your family who has schizophrenia, you're much more likely to be at risk of developing schizophrenia. Uh, there's also a lot of environmental factors. When you're born, if it's winter, spring versus uh, summer. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's a seasonal effect. It's been known for a long time. Like uh, the epidemiology is very strong, and it that seasonal effect seems to get weaker towards the equator where there's less seasonal patterns. Um, so yeah, those things are these epi- epidemiology is what leads us to think of new targets to test or to see whether they're risk factors, and that's what John McGraw works on the vitamin D and Daryl Isles uh, that developmentally, if you're born in winter, spring, you might have lower levels of vitamin D because your mother didn't uh, get as much sun. And obviously infection, those type of things that follow the colder months. Uh, there's all these things, key points in development, which I suppose emphasizes that schizophrenia isn't a disorder that you just get at 15 to 25 years of age. It's a progressive thing that's sort of the psychosis really uh, kicks in then. But uh, you, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that there's a trajectory that started a lot earlier than that. You mentioned, though, that treatments really aren't that effective at the moment. They're effective in most people at, at blunting or stopping psychotic episodes. 
Um, uh, there's about, I suppose, 30% of non-treatment uh, resistant patients and some certain treatments are, uh, are more beneficial to those than others, but for the most part, it, and it really only works for positive symptoms. There's been some huge studies that have looked at whether antipsychotic treatments, which primarily block the dopaminergic system, which is featured in psychosis, uh, help cognitive or negative symptoms, and pretty much they don't. And antipsychotics have been around for 50 years. It all focus on the same sort of receptor system. The side effect profiles have gotten better. They may be able to uh, work better in certain subpopulations for the psychotic uh, episodes, but we're really treating one third of the disease and potentially not the main, the main game either. So where's the most pressing need then for research? Well, where to start, I suppose. So I suppose there's a few different avenues. One, we still are trying to figure out what exactly is going on in schizophrenia. Uh, you'll commonly hear it called a, a diverse group of brain uh, you know, problems. And that's partly because the heterogeneity of the symptoms, which means not everyone shows the same, same symptom profile. Uh, one person to the next with schizophrenia could have a whole different range of cognitive, negative uh, you know, symptoms. So there's not one feature you can grab and hold to and say it's schizophrenia. The diagnostic criteria heavily relies on a period of psychosis which, you know, as, we, as I've said, is not necessarily the primary feature of the disease, but we need something to diagnose these individuals and has to be lengthy. So by the time we've even diagnosed someone with schizophrenia, they've been going through problems for quite some time. So we've got focus on what is actually happening at the time of psychotic onset. What, what is schizophrenia? What's it, how's it being caused at that point? And also what's leading up to that prior to that? And then very early, which is the genetic work that's going into it and the epidemiology of neurodevelopment, like what's happening so far back that might lead to this altered trajectory of development? Because your own work really focuses on the, the dopamine system. Yeah, so there's arguments for and against the dopamine system being one neurotransmitter. It is heavily involved in psychosis, um, but obviously antipsychotics don't block these other features. So is dopamine involved in those behaviors? Maybe not at the time of onset, but uh, our thoughts are, well, perhaps the dopamine system has been altered for a long time. And there are evidence, there's evidence for people who are high risk who develop schizophrenia later to show that altered dopamine uh, response is already present. So, And we should specify that that's a chemical in the brain. Yeah, dopamine is a chemical most, I suppose, most uh, likely you'd know it from reward. It makes you feel good when good things happen. So drugs of abuse that make you feel good, they stimulate mm -hmm. dopamine. Uh, Parkinson's is a degenerative disorder of dopamine neurons. So it's also involved in motor function. Um, it's a very key uh, neurotransmitter. But obviously in the complex brain, everything works in systems. So dopamine feeds into one region and then that feeds into other brain regions doing different uh, functions via other neurotransmitter systems. So I suppose there's two arguments to what's happening prior to schizophrenia. And that is, is our argument is that perhaps dopamine development has been altered and that leads to this at-risk brain. And then all the other factors throughout life end up making the system that has these negative, positive and uh, cognitive symptoms. And we can only stop dopamine and stop the psychosis at that point. The other argument is that maybe other neurotransmitters are altered and other systems, and then that leads to this dopaminergic problem downstream. They're both very you know, valid uh, hypotheses, but uh, we need to keep testing and looking, and we've decided that maybe dopamine might be the key for us, given some of the, uh, the work that's out there in the literature. And you've just received a $300,000 advanced Queensland research fellowship from the Queensland government. What will you specifically be using that for? Yeah, I was uh, quite fortunate to receive this. Um, so basically the idea is to partner up uh, basic researchers like myself with industry partner. In this case, I'll be working with uh, the Queensland Centre for Mental Health Research and uh, particularly Associate Professor James Scott, who's a clinical researcher, he's a psychiatrist. So 
my goal with this fellowship is to uh, try to create a better communication between basic and clinical research because you know, it's, with all these complicated things, you can get kind of uh, blinkered looking at the one direction. You focus on your work or the research that's related to your work. Uh, and then the, the clinicians are treating patients, so they have this different perspective on these disorders because each patient is a case study, in, in a sense. Each patient has to be treated based on their back background and all these other things, which is how they have to, have to work. But we need better communication so that when I find something in basic research that might lead to an idea, then the clinicians can take that into account and see whether it pops up in their work, and vice versa. They can say, we've been seeing this tendency towards maybe these things having an influence on our patients. Let's go have a look. Let's go have a look and see whether on a basic level that makes sense with what we know. And you need to, you can't just have a meeting once a month to do these yeah. things. It's, you know, uh, you need to be ingrained in each other's research streams. Mm -hmm. And the aim of this uh, fellowship is to sort of do that. So I'm going to be involved in some of the clinical work that's going on, particularly the Southeast Queensland Psychosis Platform that James Scott's building. And uh, that is to look at first episode and uh, high risk subjects. They're coming into the clinic and they're going to have a whole bunch of different cognitive tests and blood samples taken to try and to try and figure out what's going on at this stage and can we intervene at this stage and uh, have a better outcome for these patients. So being integrated in that clinical work, that, that's going to lead me to have ideas that maybe we can have a look at on a basic level and vice versa. Some of the work I'm doing might lead to uh, outcomes where we can put in place some different tests to see if that uh, pans out in the clinic. What's the dream for schizophrenia research? Are we Is a cure possible? Is it prevention? Is it better treatment? Or is better diagnosis the best we can hope for? Well, a little from all the columns there, obviously, the dream would be to prevent schizophrenia. Obviously, there's genetic components, so you might not be able to ever fully prevent it. Like, there's a lot of the general population has psychotic-like experiences, so it's not, you know, just schizophrenia. But, yeah, I think the, the aim would be to find intervention strategies that can certainly minimise the outcome of this disorder. Um, better treatments are a start because we can't, we're not going to be able to catch everyone probably who has that risk. So better treatments to deal with these uh, cognitive and negative outcomes. Uh, better intervention strategies earlier. There's a lot of work going into that in Australia. Pat McGorry's been uh, charging that for a long time. Um, obviously that comes with ethical dilemmas. Who's going to get schizophrenia and do you want to label them with schizophrenia that early? And how do you find these people and help them out at the right stage? And that is an ongoing battle because because of the complexity of schizophrenia. It's got a lot of symptoms that overlap with a lot of different disorders. So how's uh, QBI, the Queensland Brain Institute, positioned on all these fronts? Oh, well, frankly, I, I came back from the United States to work here because it's positioned so well um, with what the, the basic work that Dale Lyles, Tom Byrne, John McGrath are doing here, the epidemiology that John McGrath is working on, the clinical trials, and then partnering with the Queensland Centre for Mental Health. And then there's other people in the building who use a lot of different techniques that can be applied in uh, you know, a myriad of ways that without being, again, in close proximity, having more than one meeting and having a chat and being integrated, you can, you can achieve a lot more and get a lot more expertise at hand than many other institutes. James, thank you and good luck. Thanks a lot. That's Dr. James Kesby. I'm Kirsten McGregor and that's all for this episode. If you'd like to know more about schizophrenia, you can listen to another podcast in our series with QBI's Professor John McGrath. He's a psychiatrist investigating the links to marijuana, smoking and vitamin D. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook, or you could give us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.